All right, when we left off, we were in the Ten Commandments, and that's where we still are. So if you turn to Exodus chapter 20, uh, the Ten Commandments, of course, are God, um, the, the principles on which the entire law builds. We are not under the law anymore, but we still understand that the Ten Commandments, um, because they're all reiterated in the New Testament with the exception of the Sabbath, are still things that we should take very seriously and seek to uh, incorporate. We should be obedient to the Ten Commandments. Um, The Ten Commandments begins really in chapter 19 when God explains what he's doing. It's a covenant. Moses is the mediator. And it's a covenant with the entire nation of Israel. And yet the commandments are written individually. He's talking to individual people, the nation as a whole, but individual people. And then in chapter 20, um, it begins by saying God spoke all these words. These are God's commandments. They aren't something that people came up with. Uh, We talked about the different codes and the different legal codes and people saying that somehow Moses just appropriated. No, these are the words of God. These are the very commandments that God has given. And then we dealt with the first command. Um, All the other commands hinge on the first command. If you aren't obeying one of the other commands, in a real sense, you aren't obeying the first one either. The first one is the most important one in that sense. And it says, you shall have no other gods before me or beside me or over and against me. Different ways of saying it, but it all means the same thing. And the picture is that of a jealous husband. God wants no other gods. There's no other competition. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that gets placed above him or beside him. Just like no husband would tolerate no good husband, his wife coming and saying, I would like to take a lover on the side. Would that be okay? No. Or somebody that I'm going to put as an extra husband above you or the two of you can, doesn't work that way. There's a right to be jealous, or jealousy is used in this passage. But really, the the point of it is is that nothing else can take the place of God in our life. And God wants the same relationship with us that he had in the garden, and that he will have at the end. It's fascinating to go back and read the story of the garden, read Genesis 1, and then read the last two chapters of, of, of Revelation. Because he talks about a garden, and there's trees that are flowering, the river is flowing, and God is there, and there's no more tears. And we see that when God is in his proper place, everything is the way that it's supposed to be. So the first command is that God is in his proper place. The second, third, and fourth commands, uh, second command oftentimes people think just restates the first command, but I don't believe it does. Second command is that there will be no idols. Third command is not to use the name of the Lord in vain. Fourth command is honor the Sabbath. And the way I understand these is that the first one tells us who our God is, and this one tells us how we worship God or how we relate to God. Um, uh, the, The right way to worship Him and the right way to honor Him, both in the way we speak and in setting aside one day. And then the other commands then begin to deal with that horizontal relationship. So let's go ahead and read the Ten Commandments, and then we're going to jump into um, the second command. We'll see how far we get today. Uh, it may be that we don't... Uh, I was hoping to get through the second and the third commands, but we'll have to see. So Exodus chapter 20, let's go ahead and read the whole thing, all of the commandments. It's worth hearing every week, actually. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your female servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Okay, so first command, no other gods before me. The second command, you shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath. That is the command. Now, let's just make sure we understand. Carved images are okay. Likenesses are okay, just as long as they're not images of God and likenesses of God just so long as they are not things which aid us in our worship of God. Because in one sense, that's what an idol does. It's something that you fix your attention on and you, and you worship. Uh, we know that images, by the way, I doubt if anybody has an issue with this, but every once in a while, somebody will take this to an extreme and say, we shouldn't have any images of anything. Okay? Um, well, we know that when they made the, in the Holy of Holies, you have the Ark of the Covenant. What's sitting on top of the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat, which is two angels. Well, isn't that what it said? Don't make an image of anything in heaven above. And yet there's an image of two angels. And we know that, that uh, when Moses was gonna cure the, the, uh, the plague of the serpents, he made a bronze serpent and held it up. Now what's interesting is later on the people begin to worship that bronze serpent. We have a tendency to idol worship, but the the actual the what is being prohibited is forming an image or an idol that we end up worshiping. That we or that aids us in our worship, that we use to help us understand or focus our attention on God. And it is prohibited. Uh, we don't have much trouble with that, do we? Do we have an idol in the home? Everybody's stone-faced. I'm assuming you don't, okay? If you do, let's talk afterwards. None of us have idols in our home. Um, do we have pictures in our home? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you have? We have right here. We had idols. Okay. Okay, what was the idol? And so you, you have in Catholicism, you have a strain that, or sometimes it's prevalent where you'll have idols, um, or something that aids you in your worship, um, something that you pray to, or to that you, and um, there's Orthodox, which then don't have any idols, but they have icons, usually of saints. Um, um, I don't know if they would have an image of God. Okay. So you had growing up, but I assume you don't now. No, sir. no, okay. Um, so, in a sense, you could take. <laughs> in a sense, we could say, "What does this have to do with us?" Let's, let's. What is the second command? I mean, if none of us idol worship, maybe this has been totally eradicated. By the way, the Old Testament talks a lot about idols. Um, the the people of Israel are constantly worshiping idols in my understanding, until the Babylonian captivity. And something happened in the Babylonian captivity, and they came out of the Babylonian captivity back to the land. By the way, those of you who are historians can correct me if I'm wrong. 
fiercely monotheistic and, and very committed to the, the first two commands. Actually, the first four commands. No idols, no other, no other god besides God, no idols, um, no uh, taking of the Lord's name in vain to the point that they wouldn't even write his name out and honor the Sabbath. I was reading, I'll get to you in a second, I was reading this book. Um, I have to give this back to the prophets. Grace, you need to take this back to your dad. Okay. Um, oh, Jerusalem, but they were talking about the fall of the, the battle for Jerusalem in 1948, and there were some old people who had lived in the old part of the city their entire life. They had never once not honored the Sabbath. And then the city fell on the Sabbath, and they were forced out. And what they were most upset about was that for the first time in their life, they had not kept the Sabbath. Some of these people were in their 70s, 80s, 90s. And so that the Jewish people sort of transformed after that. And when you get to the New Testament, it's not really an, it's not really an issue. Uh, the only thing the New Testament says about idols is, um, talks about uh, meat sacrificed to idols. And that, Paul deals with that issue. Uh, at the end of 1 John, there's a verse. Anybody know what the last verse of 1 John is? Little children, keep yourself from idols. Um, And then Paul talks about it in Romans, that the tendency of man to create for themselves an image of God that they worship. Okay? What were you going to say, Matt? Uh, And we got Bruce here as well. The reason for them turning turning the Babylonian captivity, one thought I have is you probably got God working through Nebuchadnezzar to think for that. Okay, but my my question is, is am I right historically? Because that's my understanding, is they dealt with that all the way up until there. And then when they came back, they are, it's like they were a changed people. Um, what about symbolism, crosses, and so on? Where, where does that let's, let's get to that, okay? We'll come back to that question at the end. The question is, what about a cross? Put a cross upon her wall and we worship that, not worship, but we focus our attention on that cross as we pray. Okay? Now, obviously we're dealing with actual physical things. Yes. Images, paintings, objects, like that. But obviously throughout the New Testament we're warned that our heart has to come down and idolize things that aren't images and idols, but but place our our faith and trust on things that aren't God. Yeah, I think that would go back to the first command. Oh, no other God be there. Okay. Um, okay. So the question is, how does this apply to us? If we don't have idols, if it's not an issue for us, how does it apply? And I actually think it applies more than we think it does. Um, <clears throat> what what we have to do is ask the question. Why does God not want an idol or an image made of him? That would be a, a good one right there. Any, let's put it here, any image restricts Deciding um, 
what aspect of God is important. We'll get to that in a second. But this idea of restricting God, you're the one who's restricting God. So there's pride. So I see the pride. I'm not sure about the workspace religion. Well, the way that I, well, the best way I can describe it is that they try to earn most cultures in this kind of Okay, so then they would form an idol and then set up a series of rules for how they would worship. Mm -hmm. And then uh, think about what happened in, uh, I think it was First Kings with, um, with uh, Ahaz as he's going to war against, was it the Sidonians? <laughs> and the other side basically said, their god is a god of the mountains, fight them on the plain and they will, and they will be defeated. And in the end, the opposite happens. Yeah. So again, that's kind of a form of restriction there. But again, I would say that there's a pride element to it, and there is a type of appeasement, which would be a workspace faith. I have to think about the second one. I agree with the, I agree with the pride. I'm sure the second has validity. I just reverses the order God creates us we don't create God and actually not just us God creates everything but, but we don't create God conflicts with the idea that our faith comes through hearing, not through seeing. That, that's interesting. So we have a faith issue there. Uh, now we have to have something tangible that we're actually touching or seeing to be able to worship Actually, while Moses is on the mountain getting the law. Uh, jump over to Exodus 32 for me. <clears throat> There's something that's interesting here. Uh, when the people saw, this is verse 1, when the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what became, what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings that were in their ears and brought them to Moses, Aaron. And he received the gold in their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are the gods of Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Uh, the people are asking for gods. But Aaron forms a fashion, an idol of Yahweh. You catch the Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Moses builds an idol. That idol is not of a different God. That was an idol of Yahweh, the great I Am. Why does Moses, I mean, why does Aaron make an image of a, uh, it's a bull image. It's a, it says it's a calf. I'm sure it was a male calf. It might have just been because it was small. Basically of, an, of, a, of a cow. Why would you... If you're going to try and make an image of God, why would you use a cow? <laughs> now, the people think there's multiple gods, but Aaron is saying, this is Yahweh. This is a picture of Yahweh. Why a cow? Why a bull? All the, all the uh, yeah. But that God was defeated in Egypt. Mm -hmm. what? 
Why do you form an image of a, of a bull? Old habits die hard. Who's that? Old habits die hard. See, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm actually going off of what J.I. Packer says here. There's a chapter in his book. But he said, a bull represents strength. If nothing else, a bull is a strong animal, right? And this is, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. What, what, what Aaron is trying to do, this is my speculation coming from what Packer says, is that Aaron is trying to capture the essence of who God is. And what has God revealed himself to be? He's a strong God. He brought us out with a strong hand, so he makes the image of a, of a cow. Okay, now, this is where we get back to this, this very first comment. Any image restricts God, right? What did, what, this, this, by the way, is a definition of God from the Westminster Catechism. The question is, what is God? And it gives this, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. And then these three words apply to everything else. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his justice, his holiness, his goodness, and truth. This is a man-made definition of God. And, and so you could disagree with it. That's fine. I just put it up here because it's, it's magnificent, all that God is. So where, did they, where did they focus? Right there, right? And by focusing on that one attribute, what happens to all of God's other that They disappear, right? Um, is, is a bull wise? <laughs> no, they're about as stupid as they come, right? I, I don't work with cows, but I've, I've seen them. They, they don't look real bright to me, right? Um, they're dumb. Is there any concern for justice, for holiness, for goodness, for truth? See, that image takes one attribute of God and blows it up to making it all that God is. And it might even be a great attribute, but it restricts who God is. Um, it comes, in a sense, from pride that we understand God well enough to do this. But I would say it does a whole lot more than just restricts God. Not only does it, hold on now. Not only does it restrict God, it also distorts God. And it allows false ideas to spring in about God. Okay? Now here's how it distorts. A bull is powerful. But for how long? A bull can do incredible amount of work or could do, be very strong, but a bull is going to tire, right? Now all of a sudden we have a God who could become fatigued, whereas our God doesn't become fatigued. And at the same time, you introduce with any image you have of God wrong ideas of God because a bull is stupid and a bull is smelly. And a bull has no morality whatsoever. And a bull certainly is not infinite. And a bull is not eternal. And a bull is not unchangeable. And a bull is not a spirit. And so everything else is gone, and even this attribute is, is uh, changed. Okay. So you go through any image that you make of God is going to distort God, restrict God, and actually debase God. Because anything that you add to God or take away from God lowers him. And it's always going to end up misleading. And every idol that's ever fashioned causes that to happen. Okay? Now. You might be able to make the case for being a part of justice if you stick a criminal in the ring with him and hope he gets the horn. Yeah. But, um, I, I don't think the bull has much to do with that in terms of justice. How would you address Ah, and that's where we're going. Yeah. Because here's the question for us. How does this apply to us? And you might say, well, we don't make images of God. But I, I think, Gail, what you said, our image of God, whatever it is, has to be the picture that God places for us in the Bible. And it is an, it is an idea of God that doesn't have pictures associated with it. 
But it also has to be all of what God says about himself because we can do the same thing. Here's the danger. Um, I was reading uh, R.C. Sproul's magazine. Went back because I, uh, he had an article in there on this, the second command. And he mentioned that most people just read the second command and say, we don't have, this doesn't apply to us at all. We don't have idols. And he said, at the same time, that same person may say this statement, and you, you've probably heard it. They'll say something like, well, God to me is. Everybody heard that before? God to me is. And he said, this is the modern God. And he actually spelled it this way. This is our God. God. So what's interesting is you admit that he's your man-made God. When, when you say that, you're saying, this is an idol. God to me is. He said, what comes next? When you say, God to me is, but let's just throw out the most common. What's the most common one? Love. love. God to me is love. Okay. What have you just done? You've elevated an idea that God is love is the most important aspect of God. But in, as you've done that, you now have taken the idea of the love of God and you are equating it with how you would love, right? Or some idealistic notion of what your love would look like if you could love perfectly, which you can't. So you, you've done the same thing by doing that that people did when they made the bowl, if they're trying to illustrate power. We've, we've eliminated, we've taken God and his most important attribute is love, not power. And his love is probably a love that doesn't, isn't concerned with justice, or if it is, it's concerned with justice in a way that we understand, and it probably doesn't have anything to do with the wrath of God and the severity of God and some of these other things. And we create this image for ourselves. And so the, the warning here would be that the minute that you start elevating any attribute of God, above all of the others, then you're in danger of doing the same thing. The image of God that we are supposed to have, if there's any image of God, has to come by trying to balance all of these things with ourselves. And if we find ourselves saying, well, I just don't understand how the justice of God fits in here. How could God send a person to hell? Well, now we have to back up. I'm trying to make a God in my own image, a God of my own um, fashioning, okay? So it is something that we battle with. Uh, the only real good way to keep that image from being there is to, is to, to know your Bible really well, uh, to be well taught, because it's very easy to keep adding or taking away things from God. Let me stop and take comments because there may be some at this point. Well, I think this So often there is an object that they sell. And again, that becomes to me like an idol because that person is probably putting trust in that particular thing and, and taking attributes away from God, whether it's a piece of cross or whatever it might be. Yeah. And and even the the charismatic parts of the charismatic they focus in on an aspect of either healing so often that is a key thing that is being demonstrated at the expense of all those other attributes. Yeah. Yeah, and if God, and that is one aspect of God is that He is our healer, but there's other aspects as well. No, we elevate that. I was thinking of fact. And if we elevate one aspect, we're misrepresenting God to other people. And this is why, I mean, this is a good test for us because in this very passage, I'll get you, well, go ahead, Tom. Just a comment. There's a book called 
The God of Lesser Value, written by Bruce Ware. It was to address the It's a great book, and it addresses this fact that what we presume about God that is not biblical actually lessens who God is. Yep. It's exactly. The God of Lesser Value. Um, yeah, and we went through it a while back with open theology, where people were saying, well, how can God be sought? How can God know the future and yet give us free will? And to balance it, they said, well, he doesn't know the future. <laughs> well, you've just created a different God. You've lowered God. You've done something like that. You've just done, you know, when you put the whole gospel to somebody, it really captures all those attributes of God. Um, it was interesting because in that R.C. Sproul article, he said he started listing things and he said, well, what would it be for us as Reformed people who uh, are Reformed in our theology? And he said it's that God is sovereign. He said if you reduce down God down to just God is sovereign, which is your most important attribute and everything else uh, fits because of that, so then you've made an idol for yourself. Um, uh, it's not that sovereignty is not important. It's just not the most important. <laughs> All of the attributes of God are important. It's interesting in Deuteronomy, um, if, you, if you go there. You know, let me just, let me just say, Deuteronomy says this, because we're going to run out of time. Deuteronomy 4, he says, I did not show you a picture of myself. So therefore, do not make idols. There, uh, one, one statement in one of the articles I read was, no image of God is permissible because no image of God is sufficient. Hmm. No image is permissible because no image is sufficient. Now, let's ask a really important question. And, and this could open up. A, this, could, yeah, this could get fun, actually. Um, what about pictures of Jesus? What about... A cross. Hold on, Matt. What people think? You know. What about a cross that I put on my wall? Um, can that be an, an, an image, something? And see, I, I would I would expand this idea of the idol worship. Anything it is that we use that is any sort of image, whether mental or not, that aids us in our worship of God. That's what's happening. We're trying to somehow understand God in our own way so that we can worship him according to the way we want to. That's why this this deals with how we worship our God, this, this uh, commandment. Is a picture of Jesus wrong? Is a cross that we put, uh, is that wrong to have that? Let's go to Isaac first. I think one thing is going to be the same because we don't know what God looks like. We don't know if he has an image or what that would look like. Um, but Jesus was uh, was in that state. So would it be the same as God? I'm, I'm not sure what you're... So I'm saying it's not the same. You're saying it's not the same. So it isn't. It would not be idolatrous to have a cross or a picture of Jesus. Okay. We got one definite there. All right. Okay. So the cross, in a sense, what you're saying is, does the same thing. It limits to one aspect of what Christ did, not the full thing. Let me go to Suzanne. Isn't the cross identifying that Christian? I mean, it says, it's like a fish. It's also an identification where people love, oh, if there's a sign of a fish, you know there's a Christian there. And 
I mean, it's like the Jews that keep the, the put the over the Passover. They have their door marked. It's an identification of who you are, uh, not that we are worshiping the cross. But we're saying I'm a Christian. Uh, you know, so I think it's it's an identification. Okay, so there's a gray area here. If we have something which is a cross that I actually pray to because it helps me focus on the suffering of Christ, for instance, then that would be where Darla is. Whereas if you're wearing a cross around your neck so that other people or you put, like we have a cross in our front yard to let people know that this is a Christian home, um, that that would be a difference. So there's a distinction. So we'd have to be very, this, this then becomes a gray, a gray area. Um, so very good. I would say, I would say mainly that if you have a cross or a portrait in there as a reminder of who you are and what you believe in, I personally don't think that there's anything wrong with that. You're not praying to it. It's just sort of a, it's just kind of sort of a reminder or a, a sense of aid to help you remember who you are and what you stand for. I think that's okay. So kind of like what Suzanne was saying, but also so identification. Also. One of the issues with praying to a cross or praying to Jesus is actually no actual image of Jesus exists. The images that we're all familiar with were developed during the Renaissance, and they didn't really go for historical authenticity there. So I think that kind of helps play into the fact that no image of God exists, and every image of God would be sort of limiting to him. I think it just kind of comes down to what you use an image of the cross and what you use an image of the cross. Yeah. And, and I, I would tend to agree. Let me, let me mention, though, you said something really important. Um, what is the physical description of Jesus in the Gospels? No. What about the rest of the New Testament? Nothing in the New Testament. Nothing. There are some. The only, all we get is out of Isaiah, right? Mm -hmm. He's a man. There was no physical form that should draw us to him. Uh, he was, uh, his visage, was, that was probably after the cross, marred beyond all. We have some out of Isaiah, but nothing out of the New Testament. I, I actually think that's significant. Because it would have been really easy to describe Jesus. So I want to show you something. And I might be violating the second command by showing you this. I don't know. Everybody know that picture of Jesus? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's an interesting thing. That picture communicates something about Jesus, right? Um, if you put that picture, and by the way, I know there's Swedes here, and this was painted by a Swedish. Um, <laughs> I understand. We're, we're, we might be tread. That's why I said we might be treading on thin ground here. Um, this this um, this picture communicates something. And it's meant to. Jesus is a man of sorrows, right? They, they tried to, to, to come um, show him bearing the weight of the world. You can do all sorts of things. He's also very European <laughs> with his nice blonde wavy hair, right? Um, so kind of looks like my hair when I was in high school, actually. But, um, um, so that is, that's that picture. It was interesting because a few years ago at Emmanuel, I was at chapel, and the guy put this picture up, and he said, I hate this picture of Jesus. Uh, he didn't say I hate. He said, I dislike it. It communicates the wrong thing about Jesus. And he actually passed out to everybody this picture of Jesus, which is the laughing Jesus. And he said, I think Jesus laughs. He, he delights in us. And he passed this out, and he said, take down the other picture and put this one up. Well, okay, what does this picture communicate? Happiness. <laughs> Happiness, a joy, some other attributes that Jesus certainly had, right? But here's, here's my point. Maybe you got it without me explaining that. I don't care which one of these pictures you have. It changes your understanding of Jesus. Doesn't it? It's, it's hard to think of Jesus as being happy looking at this picture. It's hard to see Jesus as being a man of sorrows looking at this picture, and there's all sorts of other stuff that goes with that. So I would be careful with images of Jesus. I remember we, when I taught sophomore Bible, which was Life of Christ, at the end of the semester, we showed the Jesus film, which is, and by the way, I have missionary friends who go around the world showing the Jesus film to people who are illiterate. So it's, I'm not trying to knock the film itself, but it was interesting, you watch it, 
And Jesus comes across as a certain, right? An actor has to take on uh, some sort of understanding of the character he's playing. And the Jesus in the Jesus film is kind of uh, untouched by what's going on around him. He's human, but kind of, um, you know, uh, above it all, kind of um, emotionless almost. And, and you watch it, and it comes across as really flat to me. But that image becomes the image that I have of, of Jesus. So I, I would say as Christians, we need to think about that. And I, I think there's enough gray hair in here, like Suzanne pointed out. I don't think it's, you know, people will argue, say, well, what about flannel graphs for the little kids? Should we put Jesus up there? But they're not worshiping that Jesus. That's just a picture and a story. But I would be careful with any image, even of Jesus. Because it's going to change the way that you understand who he is. But when we get back to it, I think for us, this is the danger right here. It's for us to take one of God's attributes or multiple attributes and say those are the most important. Or to take one of God's attributes and say, I don't understand how that one fits, so I'm going to ignore it. You'll hear that a lot. I don't understand the wrath of God. And it doesn't exist. Well, it, it, you can't do that because now you have distorted that image of God. So that, we didn't get to the third command, obviously. That's the, the second. Any comments here before we... Anybody watch one of these pictures? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like I said, it was kind of funny when I was doing this. It's like, okay, I'm going to hold up a picture of Jesus. Maybe I'm violating the second command while I'm teaching about the second command. But hopefully nobody... Um, goes and worships Jesus that way um, because of that picture or with that picture in mind. transform my image of God. Well, if it puts it more in line with what the Bible says, then that's, a good thing. then that's okay. But if not, if it's diminishing parts of God, then it's then it's somewhat idolatrous. Oh. Scott, when somebody says to you as a believer, well, God to me is, and then you try to explain God, how would you help them understand? What would you say to them? To help them understand that they have just You know, that's a great question. I'm going to throw that out um, to the whole group. What, what do we say if somebody says that? I'm actually more concerned if we do it, but when you hear people do that, what, what should be the response? You know, I, I, I'll get you in a second, Adrian. I, I would think it depends on your, that, that question depends on so much on, on the background of the person. If you have a Christian who says it to you, I think it ought to be called out. If it's an unbeliever, it says, I just I like to think of God as love, point him to the cross. Say, so, you know, the greatest act of love in the history of mankind was Christ coming and dying for us. But it also reveals some other things about God that you ought to be aware of. You know what I'm saying? It, it really has to, because I have had somebody close to me say, you know, that to me God is just love. And, and uh, immediately I, I put a warning in there, you have to be careful, because what you've just done is you've elevated one part of God above all the rest. And you're creating a God in your own image. 
And you know, what's interesting is this definition can become idolatrous as well, because it limits God in a sense to what, it's, it tries to be full. I remember in, in, when I learned this definition of Biola, class on God, the guy said it's a great definition, but words change over time, and he actually thought that we should put in this word, God is a personal spirit because we live in a time now where a spirit is impersonal, and so you lose the idea of the fact that God is a person. So it's just interesting, even these words themselves, if we focus on those and say this is a great summary of things out of the Bible, if we start focusing that this is actually who God is, this is not who God is, this is just a really good uh, description of that. And again, I think it would, what, what you're doing would matter depending on who you were talking to. If you're talking to a pagan who has no idea, if you start spouting out, he's going to go, what are you even saying? So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, any other comments before we go? Something to think about, but I, I do think this is important thing for us it's it's just as important as that first command because if we only have if we only have one god that we worship it needs to be the god of the bible the god of the bible cannot be pictured or limited even by our thoughts i think we could embrace uh, christ's teaching uh, all the describers of who god is that we find in scripture christ's teaching is the and understand that even in my best, I'm probably not fully uh, grasping what the, what the Bible tells me about God. Anything else? Two, Nathan and then Susan. thing is, is Jesus was, according to, well, he is God, um, but he is also, according to Colossians, the image of the invisible God. There actually was a time when there was a, the, an, uh, an image of God on the earth, and that was when Jesus was here. And for people to worship Jesus would have also been then to worship the perfect image of God, which was Jesus. Um, but what I, like I said, I find it really interesting that no picture of that is left for us. I mean, all, Jesus could have come in the 20th century and, or 21st century and you would have had an infinite number of pictures of him. But God deliberately, I think, kept us from having a picture of Jesus himself because any image just like those two, we're going to, we're going to change or distort it at some level. Wasn't uh, 
literate. Did we have a Bible? So I think it's, it's another like, why does God make an artist? Why, I mean, there are people that are gifted in certain areas, so it's a way of expressing yourself. They obviously don't think of that, or that doesn't mean they soul who you are. I'm only an artist, I'm only this. Even as human beings, we're not only that. Yeah, and I think that would get back to very beginning. It's not that all images or any images are pro prohibited. It's images of God, and it's images that um, tend to aid us in our worship of God. So a, a picture, painting of the story of Lazarus with even Jesus in there, you would have to have that um, as long as that's telling a story and it's not something that we... You know what I'm saying? There, that's where the grace comes in for us. Otherwise, you end up with hard and fast rules that that are aren't obeyed are obeyed for the wrong reason. Going off of what Nathan said, one thing to remember is that the images that the Bible is condemning are images made by man. Jesus himself was not made by man. It says he's the only begotten Son of God, which basically implies that at least when it comes to his earthly body, God created that. So I think that's a very important distinction, a very important difference to remember when you're talking about Jesus and idolatry. And uh, the reason why Jesus accepted worship and why it was part of the reason why it was right to worship him is because man did not create him, God did. Exactly. I mean, I have to use the image of I don't know if you even have a sense of who God was. My hope is that they just get a sense of what it is that they pursue it. Uh, so, I mean, I don't, I don't view it as something that they're going to worship. I'm not going to worship, but sometimes these people have no idea who Jesus was. Well, and that's why my, my friend is a missionary who shows it as he's, she's going to language groups of people that, that don't have they, they're illiterate they can't read and this is that they're introduced to Jesus so that's why the question at the beginning was you know we, we have to be careful with this but in, at, at the beginning we have to decide for ourselves what we're going to do and then that that will work its way out I don't think it's wrong to show the Jesus film and if I applied I mean I did that I just found it interesting that there's there's a picture of Jesus that then fills your mind after that which may or may not be the actual Jesus that was there. So we need to stop. Some of you are getting antsy because we're over time.